biggest mover of sleep as far as getting healthy and better sleep is consistency. If you can get to bed according to what your chronotype would dictate, and we help you find that by looking at your past sleep data and when you got the highest sleep scores based on when you went to bed, if you're consistent with when you go to bed and when you wake up, that is going to give you the highest quality sleep day after day after day. I can actually predict what my, my heart rate is going to be shown by or by how much uh, carbohydrates and protein I eat. I don't think you can get back from sleep debt. Like it, once you've had short nights, it's done. You know, either take drugs or do anything that's bad for your brain over and over and over again. So chronic sleep deprivation might be like a, an overdosing of drug frequently. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to another episode of the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Siebland, and our guest today is Chuck Hazard. Chuck is the VP of Sales at the Aura Ring, and he's also a huge biohacker, so we're going to be talking about what's new with the upcoming Aura Ring 2.0, what are the dangerous side effects of sleep deprivation, how to improve your sleep, what other biomarkers you need to pay attention to for optimal health, like HRV and stuff. I also have to tell you that in this interview I was on the road and I didn't have access to my usual equipment and that's why we also got some uh, echoing in my apart from the audio but it's it's nothing nothing too bad and uh, you can definitely gain still like a ton of valuable information from Chuck. We'll do it live. So let's get on with the episode. I, well, I, I mostly, uh, you know, working with sort of the business, the business side of the uh, aura. So I talk to like sleep clinics, researchers, uh, you know, people who want to collaborate with, uh, you know, sort of that side of the business. Mm. Okay. So when is the next ring going to be launched? Uh, well, we started, as you know, we started shipping the rings a couple of weeks ago. And now what we're involved in is, you know, ramping up production. And for anybody that's, you know, been in the manufacturing world before, uh, you just can't jump right up to, you know, maximum production in a factory. You have to turn the crank a little bit, see if anything breaks. If it doesn't, you turn it up again until something does break and you figure out what broke. And, you know, that's sort of the, the dance you do in manufacturing. And right now, uh, we hope to be at maximum production by August uh, if all the ramp-ups go well. And so that's, that's where we're at now. So every, every week we should be increasing the number of rings we ship uh, right through into August. Mm, yeah, sounds, and I, I already got the notification and it's, well, I actually have the second ring with me as well. Like uh, there's the difference between the first one and the second ring. The second yes. is like slightly smaller and uh, more lightweight. So uh, can you like tell me what's, what's the difference between the first and the second ring? Well, I mean, the obvious thing, as you just showed, is the size difference. Uh, the new ring has uh, a longer battery life, so it'll last up to seven days, depending on the individual. Um, the other thing is uh, we have wireless charging on the new ring, and part of the advantage of that is less... We didn't have a lot of issues, but there's no, absolutely no metal in contact with the user's finger now. With the first ring, there was a charging contact, and 
uh, it's very, you know, not very uh, common, but we had a couple of users who are super sensitive to metal allergies. And so they had some issues with the charging contacts. But the other thing is eliminating the charging contact, eliminated another possible place that water could get in. Mm. So the first ring was rated to 50 meters uh, below. Uh, and now the new one is 100 meters, so twice the depth, which in the US is roughly 300 feet. Another thing uh, with the new ring is we have improved infrared sensors. And so we, uh, even though we turned them on with the first generation ring, you'd be really still. With the new sensors, we should be able to tolerate a little bit more movement. And because of that, we estimate, you know, on average, people should see uh, heart rate, heart rate variability for up to 12 hours out of a 24 hour period. So beyond sleep, you know, maybe an additional four hours on average during the day. Mm. Yeah, like that's one of the best benefits, in my opinion, like the longer, longer, better life and uh, also like the more, more accurate measurements. But right. What made you like change the design to make it like an actual ring, not some sort of a technological device? Yeah, well, that, well so for, when, when we made the first ring, nobody was selling curved batteries. And so that was, so the top of the, the first ring was all battery, but you know, the design was built around that. And of course, the new rings, we have curved batteries. So that allowed us to, you know, really miniaturize uh, the ring on top of electronics, keep improving, you know, mm -hmm. the circuit boards, uh, the capacity of batteries versus the size of them. So even though it's a curved battery in a smaller ring, we actually have better capacity. And that's how we get up to seven uh, days of battery life. Mm, that's quite good. But I kind of actually like the like the robustness of the first generation ring because it's so you know big and different. So can it be like possible to maybe have the design of the first original ring, but the functioning of the second ring? Right. We've actually had some requests for that, and I agree with you. For someone like myself that's in sales and out a lot meeting with people. The first ring is, you know, much more noticeable and unique. And so people will actually come up to you on the street and say, what is that? Uh, with the new ring, that is less likely to happen because it looks more like a, a wedding band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Some, 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 some sort of a cool biohacking ring, this one. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, and uh, just an interesting aside is uh, for the existing root, uh, users, uh, of the ore ring, it's mostly women that like the original design over the second sign. You would have thought it would have been men, at least I would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of, uh, yeah, its preferences are different. But uh, how does the ring actually gather the data? How does it differentiate between like the different sleep stages and like deep sleep and REM sleep? So we, you know, with both the original ring and, and the, the new ring, uh, they both use uh, similar uh, data to de determine, you know, how well you sleep, restorative sleep, and all the sleep stages. So unlike most wearables, we actually, because we're measuring off the base of your finger, the, the arteries, and the blood flow through your arterioles, I think that's how they pronounce it, um, we sample at 250 times a second. And so we're actually able to measure a full arterial pulse waveform 
including all the amplitude changes. So that's significant. Then having uh, a temperature sensor in the ring that's highly accurate, uh, and then you know, along with two, uh, 50 hertz sample rate off the accelerometer gyro stack, um, all the data we collect from that allows us to get highly accurate seep staging, uh, way beyond any other wearable in the market. And we have you know, two studies to validate that. Yeah, like I've seen like some of the studies where you compare the O-ring versus like a real sleep lab. And right. The, and the results are basically the same. The O-ring is right. almost as accurate, basically, practically as accurate. So have you had any like studies with the second gen ring as well? Yeah, we haven't done that yet. We've got um, a couple of large sleep labs in Europe that will be running um, studies that aren't necessarily just doing a validation on the ring. But as part of their studies, they will be using uh, the standard sleep lab, PSG, and the O-ring. So we should be getting some good data out of those for validation. Uh, those won't begin until probably uh, this fall. Uh, so we, but hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have some good studies. And as far as the, the two studies that were done, one was done with fitted rings in Finland. And we came out in the mid to high 70s on identification all sleep stages versus uh, the sleep lab data. Uh, the other one was done by Stanford Research in California with two size rings, some of which didn't fit well on the participants of the cohorts. And uh, we had you know, found and determined if with the first generation ring, if you actually rotated on your finger a little bit while you slept, you skew deep in REM sleep. And with the new ring, because we have improved infrared sensors, we believe that we can take some rotation of the ring perhaps as much as 90 degrees and not lose the signal because they're much, uh, much better technology. Wow, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. Can, what, what, what if I hold it like uh, slightly away from my skin, for instance, that it's not fully tucked in in a sense, it's like somewhere in between, will it still be able to measure some data? Or? Yeah, if, if your ring is loose, even with the new ring, like really loose, uh, you may not have a strong enough signal to get really good data. So when somebody gets a ring fitted, it should be, you know, you should be able to get it over your knuckle fairly easily. And once it's on your finger, even in the day, that it takes a little bit of resistance to, you know, to kind of rotate it on your finger. And certainly your fingers swell while you're sleeping. So, you know, it'll get tighter. Uh, the other thing people can do is uh, size the ring for your, your non-dominant hand and then sleep with it on your dominant hand. Your dominant hand fingers tend to be bigger in circumference, so you'll get extremely tight fit uh, while you're sleeping and wear it on your non-dominant uh, so that you, you know, get it on and off easily during the day if, as needed. Okay, that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, but uh, maybe let's like go through some of the more specific metrics that the ring measures, and maybe I'm gonna give you like the brief. I'm gonna give you like these metrics, and maybe you can give like a brief explanation of what what does it mean in a sense, like sleep efficiency. What what does it uh, take account to? Right. So the thing that we, if you you know anybody that's looked at the app, if they've seen the first generation ring. Uh, you know, we look at things like uh, uh, sleep latency, how long does it take you to fall asleep? Uh, one of the things about that is it's possible if, if you consistently have high sleep latency, <clears throat> it's likely not necessarily 100% accurate, but that you're trying to go to bed at a time that's not consistent with your chronotype. 
So you're, you know, it could be because of your partner or whatever that has a different chronotype. You're trying to go to bed when you really don't have strong sleep drive. And so you may try going to bed a little bit later when you truly are tired. Um, we have uh, tranquility, which is sort of the restlessness. You know, are you sleeping soundly or are you rolling over? You know, like you're not necessarily even awake, but you're turning over frequently during the night. Um, uh, efficiency is surrounds, uh, you know, for the time you're in bed, how much of it you're actually sleeping uh, as opposed to awake states. And there are, there are a bunch of other contributors, but it really comes down to determining how restorative your sleep was. And our sleep score is based on those contributors. What, what do you call as a sleep disturbance? What, what does it uh, take into account? As, as so the, the accelerometer is mainly used for that. You can also look at like uh, rapid changes in heart rate. Um, and so, you know, in, in no, no wearable and even sleep labs, this is a challenge with, uh, you know, the risk-based things they use, but is actually establishing, I mean, other than they have a technician watching the person in a lot of cases, but, you know, is, is actually determining is somebody, uh, dreaming and rolling over in their sleep versus are they truly awake in awake state? And so, you know, it, it's sort of a complicated thing and you have to do the best you can uh, by looking at the, you know, the sensor data without having somebody actually saying, aha, you're awake, <laughs> um, to determine somebody's in a wake state and not just light sleep or uh, REM sleep or something. Yeah, yeah that's true. And uh, yeah. on, the, on the readiness tab, there's, there's things like sleep balance and uh, body temperature. Right. And so, yeah, same thing with readiness uh, and for all the three buckets. So you have sleep, readiness, and uh, activity. Uh, but for readiness, yeah, we look at, uh, you know, basically the, the contributors, there are several that have to do with sleep, sleep balance, is are you actually being consistent when you go to bed? Are you getting, you know, the sleep that from your, your baseline in history you're being consistent with how much sleep you're getting, you know, as opposed to like a college student that might, you know, not get a lot of sleep during the week. And then on weekends, they get a whole lot of sleep throughout drinking late at night. And so it, most of the contributors in the, the related to sleep for your recovery score are based on, how, again, how restorative your sleep was. Uh, then we also look at, like you mentioned, temperature data. If your temperature deviates from the baseline, you know, goes up enough, then that could be a couple things. One, it could be that you're, get, you're coming down with something, you're getting sick, and you certainly don't want to move too much. Um, the other thing is, <clears throat> in you know, more of the athletic world, it could be a sign of overtraining. Uh, so we look at that. Uh, we look at your heart rate. We look at how low did it get, your lowest heart rate, compared to your, sort of your baseline and your trends. But we also look at when it happened. If it happens in the second half of your sleep, it means you were revved up when you went to bed, and that could be from alcohol, it could be from a late meal, late exercise, uh, a fight with your partner, that kind of thing. And then, of course, we all also look at your heart rate variability. Uh, how is that, you know, sort of your average compared to previous nights? Like for some people who aren't aware of HRV, like, can you tell us what is heart rate variability and uh, what does it indicate? Right. So a lot of people are, you know, probably believe that your heart beats like a metrodome exactly the same spacing between heart rate beats each you know each minute a second whatever uh 
But in fact, your heart rate variability, uh, I mean, your heart rate changes. You know, each beat is almost, almost random. And the more variable the spacing between heartbeats, they've actually determined the healthier you are. Um, and so we use that. But, it, but also, uh, they found there's been a lot of research on this that heart rate variability can be used to determine uh, the balance between your parasympathetic and sympathetic system, your nervous system. So, you know, and that's why it's, it's often used by uh, coaches for athletes to determine the state of somebody's recovery, how resilient they are to the prior day's stresses. Yeah, I, and I definitely have seen my, in my own HRV scores that uh, on days when, when I have like lower score of HRV, then I'm also more prone to being more stressed out and uh, emotionally less resilient. I'm more reactive stuff and uh, I might experience some anxiousness or something just because my HRV is low and uh, I had like a bad night's sleep. You know, that's, that's why I have a lot of the O-ring as well. It's like, it's like literally you can go back into the app and look at the data and see why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And I think it's like an important, incredibly important feature. And every person as a member of society needs to use this kind of technology because, you know, a lot of people are slaves to their own emotions and their feelings and afflictive thoughts and they don't they think that they're supposed to feel that way whereas in reality they're simply suffering from like a temporary decrease in hrv or a poor night's sleep so <laughs> right right another interesting thing because we sample hrv during the night not just one sample like for instance if you sleep eight hours you'd have 96 distinct hrv samples and we show all those in the app, as you know, and on, the, and on our web at, uh, interface. Um, there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, research into looking at uh, HRV while you're sleeping. And if, it, if you see the graph trend up, all those samples while you're sleeping, that's really solid evidence from what I've read in my understanding that your nervous system actually recovered while you sleep, while you slept. So it's above and beyond just sort of your, your general physiology recovering. It's actually your, your nervous system, your autonomic ner nervous system actually recovering while you sleep. Yeah, because, because there's some slight difference in, you know, skeletal muscular recovery and nervous system recovery and, and psychological recovery definitely as well. So. Right, right, exactly. But, but like more HRV, a higher HRV score is better than, right? That's correct. And, and uh, that's one thing I should point out is that um, a lot of people that are using the apps like Elite HRV or, or Sweetwater Health, uh, they scale their HRV scores to zero to 100, and we don't. We, we provide the raw number, so it can, people can see HRV numbers above 100, like 120, 130. And yes, the higher it is, the better. If your HRV was zero, you'd be dead. <laughs> in fact, if it's down in the 20s and 30s, it, it isn't necessarily an indicator of some serious health problems, but I would certainly look into it with my uh, healthcare provider mm. if it was consistently in the 20s. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I find it very useful for, you know, physical training as well. Like my, my average HRV is something like 110 or 120. And whenever I see it begins to decrease under 100 or somewhere around there, then I can immediately like, okay, I'm slowly beginning to catch something like, I need to right. down. I'm, I'm, my immune system is less, less strong and it's weaker. So 
I'm more right. prone to getting an infection or more prone to overtraining. So I'm going to have to take it easy for at least like for the time being. So that's right. Exactly. And another, another thing that's of interest is even beyond being sick or overtrained, uh, your diet can actually impact your heart rate and HIV. Uh, for instance, I found a strong correlation between insulin load and heart rate. I can actually predict what my, my heart rate is going to be shown by aura by how much uh, carbohydrates and protein I eat right. and the result of insulin load. That's, that's quite interesting. So, so like, yeah. do you see any uh, specific foods as well, like food groups affecting? Right, right. But even, even if you eat clean, like I eat very clean, uh, whole foods, you know, organic, grass-fed beef. But if I really eat a lot of protein, uh, my, my resting heart rate goes up and my HRV goes down. And they track exactly on the same curve. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a very strong correlation. I can send you a graph after this to show you what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, for for sure, we can we can use the, the images. But uh, will will the ring be able to be real time tracking as well? Or yeah, so during during the day, for the most part, we're just using the accelerometer uh, to track movement during the day. Um, if somebody's at rest long enough, we'll at least get the heart rate. Uh, and you, those show us restful periods on the main screen, and you can also view them under the readiness uh, screen on the app. Um, but one of the things we're coming out with uh, this summer is we're going to have uh, a new feature in the app where you can actually manually turn on the infrared sensors. So if you're doing sort of a, a mindfulness uh, protocol or meditation, and you'll be able to see heart rate, and if it's long enough, heart rate variability, because we need at least one good solid five-minute sample for HRV. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because they do, say that, uh, you know, or or at least you are having sleep, and there are still like these brief moments during the day where you're either taking a nap or you're simply relaxing. That can be counted as as if you are sleeping almost, or like meditation. So like, like very rigid. Yeah, and another thing, I mean, even, be, even before we have the manual button push, uh, one thing, you know, I'm interested in, I know a lot of endurance athletes are, is right after you get done running or the long bicycle ride or training of whatever sort, CrossFit, um, you can just chill out or when we have the button push, you know, start the infrared sensors, and just look at what your heart rate's doing, you know, the heart rate recovery, which is important to see how resilient you are to the training load. And on top of that, we'll give you the heart rate variability. So that's, those will be interesting data points for athletes sort of post-workout to track. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, like uh, you can kind of learn to use different mindfulness techniques as well to reset your nervous system. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, uh, I mean, or other things is training, you know, using sort of the, um, you know, maffetone, trying to, you know, do the exercise breathing through your nose to stay more parasympathetic and try that versus mouth breathing and see the differences after you work out for the same workout. And most people see a much higher HRV. Yeah, that's true. I would also like to be very interested to see like the recovery scores of experienced meditators during the day. Right how the HRV changes throughout the day. And uh, because meditation definitely like increases your uh, emotional resiliency and the ability to deal with stress and 
you strengthen your psychological immune system as well. So they're not going to be phased, they're going to be affected by these stressors that much. And they can actually yeah. speak in real time. So that's, that's a very cool feature. I, I'm a heart math coach. And so I you know, do heart math, you know, go through the, you know, that sort of protocol. And I definitely see a, a big boost in HIV. Mm. So like you've also like gathered a ton of data from, from your or users. And um, what are some of the factors that impact sleep and readiness the most from your, from your experience? Well, we haven't, we haven't actually gone through a lot of, you know, data mining on our users' data. Um, and plus, you know, we just, one of the things I should back up with the new app that even some of the original ring owners, you know, should be, have loaded now, uh, you have the ability to add notes and tags. Um, in the future, we'll be able to use those for an individual user and look back to the data and help them find correlations on things that are impacting their sleep, either positively or negatively. Uh, but, you know, one thing in talking to users at conferences and whatnot and looking at their data, I, I, I think the bigger, biggest mover of sleep as far as getting healthy and better sleep is consistency. And that's why we have added to the app sort of an optimal bedtime. Uh, because it, if you can get to bed according to what your chronotype would dictate, uh, and we help you find that by looking at your past sleep data and when you got the highest sleep scores based on when you went to bed to, to show you your optimal bedtime. If you're consistent with when you go to bed and when you wake up, that is going to give you the highest quality sleep day after day after day. Uh, everything else, there are other things can help with improving sleep, but that alone is the biggest thing for people to think about. Yeah, I think Hanno also, like Hanno, the main scientist of your team, also said that it's more important to actually stay to a, or stick to a consistent sleeping schedule rather than going to bed based on the circadian rhythms of the environment specifically. Right. So, like the consistent effect of your brain expecting when it's time to go to sleep, that's much more important. That's correct, yes. Um, but other thing, I mean, like we talked about, uh, resting heart rate, you're, you're going to cheat yourself out of uh, deep sleep, which happens in the first half of sleep. If you do things, make lifestyle choices that are going to raise your heart rate. So blue screen exposure, you know, before you go to bed, um, uh, arguments, stress from reading email, uh, watching movies that might be stressing you out, alcohol, late meals, late exercise. All of those will raise your heart rate and it will stay up until you, you know, later in your sleep. So you're not going to get as much deep sleep, which has been found to be highly restorative. Um, things you could do to improve that, you could take hot showers right before bed, uh, you know, meditation. Uh, uh, there are certain uh, four somatic, like uh, Reese spores, uh, things like, you, you know, like that you can try. Um, I'm trying to think of something else. There's a bunch of things you can try. Magnesium, uh, honey can even help. Um, certainly blocking, you know, eliminating blue light before you go to sleep. Uh, those can all help to, you know, make sure your, your body is set up to actually go right into the natural sleep stages immediately when you fall asleep, like deep sleep. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like your physiology is more hardwired to become parasympathetic as the night progresses or the, as the evening progresses and you don't want to be wired up if you go to bed. Right, right. <laughs> Please go away, let me sleep for the love of God!
have you noticed like any individual differences uh, in sleep scores and or genetic differences or chronotypes differences? Uh, yeah, like I said, we haven't really mined our data like some other wearable companies have done. Um, they, they, I mean, that's the thing is there was, a, I was just got back from the SEEP conference here in the U.S. And I won't mention the com company, but there was a company that showed a slide during one of the presentations and they showed deep sleep as a lineal decline at, from youth to, to being older. And that is certainly not the case. <laughs> uh, deep sleep tends to drop fairly early 18 to 20s, you know, year olds, and then it levels off, you know, and there are unique differences can be higher at any age, but in the general population, it is not a lineal decline or why people age in deep sleep. And I don't know why they showed that. I don't know where they got their data from, but. That doesn't make any sense either because it would mean that you're going to, you're consistently sleeping less and accelerating your brains <laughs> as you age which, which yeah, and like for me if i if i want to guarantee i'm, I'm going to be 58 this summer 58 years old and you know you could say well you know you're an old bastard you're not going to get deep sleep and you know most nights i get 20 to 45 minutes and that's drinking like a, a glass or two of wine if i want truly deep sleep i'll you know fast for the day not have any wine skip any exercise just do light exercise and I'll get over an hour. I can do it every night, night after night. I know exactly how to get over an hour. But, or I can run you know, 50 kilometers in the mountains and, I'll, and I always get deep sleep after that also. So go figure. I mean, I, I know how to control how much deep sleep I'm going to get despite my age. Yeah, that's, that, that's good to have like data to, or to have these self-reflective experiences as well to know right. how you individually function. But you mentioned, you know, that, you know, drinking and uh, college students partying at weekends and not sleeping during the week. So is it possible to kind of make up a bad night's sleep, uh, with, you know, sleeping more or, or shifting up your circadian rhythm? Yeah, it depends which sleep doctor you talk to. I mean, if you, you know, like Matthew Walker versus... Chris, I can't think of his last name, but all the, the, you know, the authors that are writing the top books, no one seems to be in agreement on that. Like, can you get back from sleep debt? Um, there certainly is, seems to be strong support, you know, the N equals one, lots of these that, like some of the top athletes, like marathoners, you know, at the top of the game, the ones that win marathons, that they take a lot of naps, like long naps, which won't work for most people. Um, but for them, it works because they're training at such a high level, their body actually needs it. But for the average person, I don't think you can, from my understanding of reading you know, all of the literature and books and whatnot, I don't think you can get back from sleep debt. Like it, once you've had short nights, it's done. I mean, and that once in a while is, you know, has a short-term effect on your physiology but I think they've clearly proven in some of the people who have tried to set Guinness records for staying awake the longest, you know, for lots of days. And some of them have actually had, you know, long-term harm to their, their physiology from those little experiments. Wow. Yeah. So, so it means that, you know, sleeping less uh, consistently is going to have like almost ir irreversible effect on your health that you can't kind of make, make up for it or... Right, and there's no, there's no evidence, so this is not based on science, but if you think about, uh, you know, 
if you put, you know, either take drugs or do anything that's bad for your brain uh, frequently over and over and over again, you know, you got to think that that could possibly lead to some of the neurological issues that people are facing today, dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, whatever it is, Parkinson's. And so chronic sleep deprivation, you know, might be like a, an overdosing of drug frequently, uh, that it could have a negative impact on your brain. Your brain can't recover. You know, it needs to recover every night when you sleep. I mean, it's, it just needs it. We're, we're wired for that. We're wired to sleep every night. Yeah, that's like in uh, the most recovery happens in deep sleep and REM sleep. So, right, and I and I've also I've seen uh, sleep technicians that have had twenty year careers as a sleep technician. They're up every night, and I've seen a few of them, and you could see them visibly shaking. And I've got to wonder if their nervous system is fried from being up every night. They're fight, you know, they're they're going against their circadian, their chronotype, yeah. you know, and they drive to sleep at night. Everything's a copy of a copy. Of a copy, yeah, like shift work is like right. the worst thing you know, like in your life to do. Like, I uh, really feel sorry for people who have to do shift work because yeah, and there's been lots of studies on shift workers and how it affects you know leptin and ghrelin and things like that, weight gain, obesity. They actually have studies that prove that you you know if you get good quality sleep, you have a better chance of not being obese. Um, but above and beyond that, that it was interesting and. Uh, you know, watching a couple of lectures at this last sleep conference on shift work, that all of them were using a lab environment. So the daytime simulations were under blue lights. So I have to wonder if that skews their results. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you can't, having people, they weren't allowed access to sunshine. Right. Like, and so they were under blue lights during their daytime. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is, that is it. Because blue light, it's not like the full spectrum sunlight. It's only like a really segmented section of it, and it's not. It's it's beneficial in some amounts and at certain times, but consistently only blue light is definitely like a very bad thing. Yes, yes, and that's these people are in, you know, two week or three week studies for shift work, in uh, there. So under the ones that are working at night are under blue light, and the ones that are in the daytime shift are under blue light so these people are all under blue light yeah <laughs> they're basically like their brain literally thinks that it's 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 a day all the time and uh, right, exactly the whole time during their daylight it's high noon yeah. you know they've got 415 to 455 wavelengths blasting their their skin in their eyes all day long <laughs> that's that's, a, that's not very healthy <laughs> mm. Uh, but uh, what, what about uh, like the physical activity tracking? Uh, it, I know I know that the step counter is very. I I, I really like the step counter feature, but um, I, I feel like also like the other intense exercise can can be slightly misinterpreted based on like different types of exercise. For instance, if you do sprints, then it will definitely show that you did something hard and it elevated your heart rate. But uh, I'm not like I'm not entirely sure how you could gather that same data if you did like resistance training with weights. Right, right. So the first generation ring has an accelerometer only. And so that's, you know, XYZ plane. So those accelerometers on any wearable work really well for walking and running. But any other activity where there are rapid changes that won't work at all or resistance training, 
uh, we added a gyro to you know to the the new ring. So instead of just this motion, it's it's this motion too. Mm. Um, but the thing with gyros and any wearable, uh, and everybody's adding them, all the wrist-based wearables now, is it, it doesn't buy, by just adding the gyro, that's not going to help with like resistance training and other activities that have rapid switching of directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things it does allow you to do is you now have an opportunity to train that wearable to identify activities automatically. And when I say that, so if you, let's say you go into a CrossFit workout, um, if you use an accelerometer and even if you've got it in your firmware activity identification, you start doing a rep of something and then you switch to doing some other activity in your workout, the accelerometer won't know you've switched the activity until you're done with the next set probably. It might take six or seven reps. When you add a gyro, you can actually train a wearable Usually within one rep, you can see, you can actually determine the change in activity. Uh, but to get all this to work right, you, there's, I think there's a catalog of 140 movements just for gym type stuff, like CrossFit. And so you have to either do it yourself in-house or hire a company like Focus Motion, which is in the base of the U.S., and you, you get 10 people that really can do the form well, whatever the activity is, you put aura rings on all of them, probably both hands, and you keep having them do the, the activity over and over and over again. And once you finally get it really good, then you, you basically distill that down into firmware and put it on the ring. You have to do that. You, know, you pick the priorities of the activities you want to you know, train the ring for, and then you, know, you might do a dozen, and it might take a while. Like Even on Garmin or Fitbit, you, you know, you that have been doing this for a while, they still have a very small amount they're identifying because it takes a lot of time and money. And that's, but that's the reason to put a gyro in a device. Mm-hmm. So you know, until we can get to a point where we can start adding activities as we prioritize them, you know, people still have to manually add them into the app. Right, right. That's, that's, yeah. and, and at the same time, like, um, there are so many individual differences between uh, exercises as well, for instance, yeah, like and you know, what's the goal of the exercises as well, and what are you measuring? Because you know people burn different amounts of calories with different types of exercise based on their metabolic rate and based on their right, right. So, and lean muscle yeah. mass. And yeah, and so you know, and that thing, you know, so we at four four o'clock um, every morning uh, we reset. Uh, everybody what's called a basal metabolic rate that's the rate of energy burn you would have if you laid in bed all day and didn't do anything or didn't move and that's based on the what's called the schofield formula we're only using the data people put into their profile so it's age gender weight um schofield formula can use other things like bmi but that's you know harder to get at through people a lot of people don't know what it is um, you could actually look at lean, lean muscle mass, you know, other things to, to improve that formula. And that's what we would need to get to so that even adding activities uh, and saying, you know, I did a CrossFit workout, uh, high intensity for 45 minutes, and then, you know, a resistance training for 15 minutes. Um, to get that really accurate, we would need to use other parameters that we just aren't collecting at this point. Right, yeah, and that is definitely one of the features that you may plan to add in the future. 
Yeah, and there are other things we could do too is, you know, and I'm not saying we're going to do this, but uh, we've, you know, had people ask, especially on the endurance side, the people that are, uh, you know, like uh, elite cyclists, they love the oar ring for the recovery, but the ring's obviously not going to record anything on a bicycle, is the ability to take data they collect from another means, like say a power meter on their bike and or their, you know, their ride in general. What, you know, what was, you know, their other, uh, the actual workout results from these other devices and maybe they loaded in something like Strava, could they then pull that into the OR app to give them a more accurate assessment of their energy burn during that bike ride? Uh, so we could also do that in a CrossFit if somebody was wearing some other wearable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I definitely like the feature of the ring sometimes telling you uh, based on your sleep school, what your activity should be like. You know, if you had a bad night's sleep, then it's going to tell you to slow down. Or if you recover it, then it's going to tell you, like, yeah, you can go hard. So right. do you have, like, any any plans of making that feature more immediate or more engaging, something along the line of the ring starting to vibrate or if you sit in a single position? Yeah, the, <clears throat> the problem with uh, things like what you talk about is, uh, I think they refer to them as, like, haptic motors. Uh, that you can actually vibrate the ring. If you look at, uh, and anytime anybody, this comes up a lot in adding like say a, a pulse ox to the ring. If you, if you use a size, look at a size 13, our biggest ring, and then look at a size six, you quickly understand that a size six has very little real estate in it. Uh, you can only put so much in a ring that small. Um, so it's not that we can't add other features like that. We might be able to in the, in the future because technology gets better and better and smaller and smaller. But yeah, I mean, that, that would be interesting to, yeah, to be able to vibrate and give you like, you know, hey, you've actually hit your goal for the day. So even if the app wasn't around, the ring knows that, it, you know, you've hit that goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, I think one interesting thing would be like the, the ring is going to give you an electric shock. So that's right. You- that you would fall asleep faster, or if you if you if you didn't get a good night's sleep, then it's going to put you out and uh, make you sleep. Sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> Inject a lethal drug. <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah, if, if the AI is developed self consciousness and it wants to control you, then <laughs> actually give you a little shot of melatonin, just it's a microdose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's what's new on the uh, new cloud app? Uh, well, that, uh, you know, I hate to say that it's, it's still in beta, but uh, we've got a, a, a team actively working on the cloud app. And so, you know, we're going to be, you know, adding, well, there are two things. One is to make it look more like the app. It'll be prettied up right now. It's pretty basic. You know, it's not very attractive. Uh, but, you know, over time, making the, the web app look more like the the phone app, you know, so the navigation will be similar. Um, and, you know, we'll add more features on thing, you know, finding correlations, trends, uh, adding the ability to add notes and, and tags on the website, not just the app, um, things like that. Mm, yeah, definitely so so it's, you'll start to see some fairly rapid changes on the website as we get into the summer. Okay. Looking forward to it. But, uh, do you have your? You've sent out the first rings, and uh, you know what's the progress or what's the line or the regions that are going to get the ring first? Europe. Yes. 
America. So every every country that you want to sell uh, any product into that has electronics and batteries, you have to get what's called type approval. And so uh, the first type approvals we got were U.S. and Canada, and that's where the first rings were shipped to. Um, the European Union was supposed to be in this week, but I haven't heard a confirmation if that happened. Uh, I know a couple of countries in Asia, the Pacific Rim, uh, we've gotten type approvals from them, but the EU should happen any day now. Okay. I don't know why it's taking so long. <laughs> Customs. <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> yes. So like, uh, how has your personal sleep been affected by the, uh, the launch? Have you, have you been getting your REM sleep or have you been suffering some? No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I, I take my sleep very seriously. Um, I'm actually, uh, I mean, according to the app, it says I should go to bed uh, between 20, I think it's 2030 and 2130 hours. Uh, and I, I mean, I have, it correlates well with my own feeling. I have a huge amount of sleep drive by 2000 hours. And my wife is a later chronotype. And I think she's uh, probably closer to, uh, you know, 22, 23. But by 20 hundred hours, I'm, my body, the sleep drive is building in me. And I'm actually looking at the bed, thinking about the bed. And I might stay up, you know, a little bit later, like another hour. But, but I always make sure I'm in bed. Uh, you know, by 2100 hours. Mm. Are there any, without fail. Are there any like ways or substances to promote sleep drive? No, I just, that's just always the way I've always been. Even when I was in college, I mean, I would force myself to stay out and socialize, but I've always liked to get to bed early. And, uh, and I, you know, we do a lot of things like I, I put on, you know, more uh, extreme blue blockers. Uh, by the time the sun goes down, um, we don't watch a lot of TV programming. We don't even own a TV, but we watch, um, you know, some TV shows on my laptop. Uh, we try to eat early. Um, if I do drink wine, I try to drink it earlier in the evening. Um, and all of our lights in our house, uh, you know, probably shouldn't have Philip Hue lights because they have RF signals coming off every bulb, but we do. And those turn red uh, right before uh, the sun sets, and then they, they go down to just night lights. They're very dim uh, by the time the sun sets, so there's not much light in the house. Mm. So That's a very useful uh, house tech, in a sense, I believe. Actually, mimic right. the natural sun, sun program. Right, and then on the flip side, in the morning, we, we don't wake up by an alarm. The, the hue lights uh, simulate sunrise, especially in the winter. If, if I, you know, I try to get up, I'm usually trying, my body's waking up by five, five in the morning anyway, but starting at five in different parts of the house, we have the hue lights come on as sort of a, you know, a lot of yellow and red in them. Uh, and they sort of move around the house closer to our bedroom uh, by 5.30. And that, that really, we always, both of my wife and I wake up naturally that way and you feel really refreshed as opposed to being jolted awake by an alarm which happened recently because I had to uh, catch an early bus to get to the airport to go to the sleep conference. And you can see my heart rate go like straight up. And that's not the right way to wake up. 
yeah, it causes too much stress. And, uh, right. But what do you what do you do if you have like a bad night's sleep? What's your coping strategy? Um. Uh, I mean, sometimes I do heart math. Uh, you know, things I might, uh, you know, do heart math while I'm laying on top of a PEMF magnet system. You know, just trying to get my, you know, Krebs cycle revved up a little bit. Um, uh, uh, molecular hydrogen seems to help. Uh, I use some other nootropics, uh, Qualia, Mind, uh, uh, Herbworks, T&G, and those, you know, tend to help uh, force somatic teas, you know, mushroom teas, you know, and those usually get me out of the funk. So even if I've had a, a crappy night's sleep, those tend to help. Mm, yeah, do do have like maybe like some sort of a set line or a set point that you don't want to go any lower in your sleep score. That you, if you uh, if you yeah. it, then you're gonna you know hit the brakes completely and you're gonna <laughs> go to sleep. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, my there's sometimes I wake up. You know, if I don't have to go anywhere, my I look at my sleep score and it's like you know. For, I don't think I've ever seen below 50, but somewhere around there, I'll often just go right, you know, just, just go right back to bed and wake up again and, until it's up to like 70, at least 70 something, you know, so you can do that too. Mm, yeah, sounds, you know, as long as you're not up too long, it'll, it'll actually see it as, you know, one whole sleep session. Okay, that's interesting. So you're checking your sleep scores right after waking up or? Right. Okay. And just saying, I'm, this, this is not good. I need to. You know, because sometimes I get back from a trip and it's by the time I get home, it's well after midnight. And I think I, you know, I want to wake up. My body wakes up at 530 and I just don't get the right amount of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you go to bed later, then you're still going to naturally want to wake up at the same time because of right. the chronotype. Yeah. I also want to ask about the Bluetooth, some uh, that you can put it on airplane mode. I think it's also very important to keep it on airplane mode and do you feel like it may, does it block off the Bluetooth signal and the Wi-Fi signal completely? Yeah, so first of all, the ring does not have a Wi-Fi antenna, it's strictly Bluetooth. Um, the other thing is, um, there, I'm gonna say this, I, I, I wear my ring in Bluetooth you know, with the airplane mode also, but there have been, Bluetooth has been studied uh, a lot, uh, over the years because of hearing aids. And I think it is demonized, not that we'll find there aren't some long-term health effects down the road. Um, but it's been demonized and thrown in the same, uh, bucket as Wi-Fi and cell radios. Uh, but what they found in the, all the studies with hearing aids is they, they can detect some, uh, alterations in cellular activity. Uh, but as soon as the Bluetooth goes off, the cells go back to baseline. Now, that doesn't sound very good, but they haven't found any health, negative health effects from that from long-term hearing aid uh, use. And, and again, this is being studied a lot because you've got it stuck in your ear close to your brain, so not a good thing. Um, so despite that, so going away from that for a minute, if you want to put the ring in airplane mode, you can. Um, if, if you don't, the Bluetooth uh, broadcasts are less than two minutes out of a 24-hour period. Like, for instance, when you settle down to go to sleep, as long as you're not super restless, the Bluetooth will never come on. 
But if you don't want Bluetooth on at all, what I recommend is you put the ring in airplane mode. <clears throat> uh, the only time it comes out of airplane mode is, you know, say in the morning, you, the easiest way to do it is set it on the charger and it'll automatically come out of airplane mode. You sink your sleep. You, you just let the ring get topped off. It usually takes less than 10 minutes if you do it every day. And it's, and it's not bad for the battery, even with the new ring. And once it's topped off, you put the ring back in your finger and put it back in airplane mode. And that's what I do. Okay. That's, that sounds very good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think like not a good idea to consistently expose yourself even though it doesn't have like I mean, maybe long-term effects because the, like you said the cells they won't go back they go back to normal if the bluetooth is off but if the bluetooth is never off then the cells right, right. Yes. and we have we're already surrounded by these different wavelengths all the time yeah and i think of it more as for a lot of these things that even if there's not a, a, a the appearance of a long-term harm each one of these inflictions, they build upon each other till they absolutely ruin your resilience. And I think this is what, why certain people are super sensitive to EM, non-native EMF because their resilience has been beaten down because they've lived by cell towers. They've got, you know, five Wi-Fi routers in their house plus their neighbors, you know, in their apartments above them and below them, you know, and then Bluetooth and on watches and now people are wearing the new apple watches with cell chips which scares the bejesus out of me uh you know so i think that's the thing you're right is you've got to look at the big picture of you know poor food choices alcohol drugs uh living outside of your circadian rhythm blue light exposure other forms of non-native emf all these things build on top of each other and you know, eventually wear you down where you start becoming sick. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Modern life. <laughs> right, and I think that's, I mean, one of the, on my soapbox, I mean, some, some people focus on one thing, like they might focus just on blue blocking glasses, but they don't focus on their diet, they have their cell phone on in their pocket walking around. I've seen this at conferences, bullet biohacker conferences. Um, they've got, you know, just all kinds of bad things <laughs> just happening. Or you see them eating, you know, a hot dog, you know, for, yeah. at the cart outside the biohacker conference. <laughs> it has to be like a holistic approach because yeah, just right. doing one thing or optimizing one thing doesn't going to give you any results because you're going to neglect the other things. Right. So really enjoyed talking with you, Chuck, and uh, looking forward to the new ring. So where can people learn more about your, your work and uh, the upcoming OR ring as well? Yeah, just I encourage people to go to orring.com. Uh, we've got a super uh, blog posts on not just sleep, but on recovery. Uh, even like, you know, when during a menstrual cycle, when women get optimal benefit from their training. Uh, we've got all the uh, pre-order updates. People can check those if they want to know the latest and greatest on when the rings will ship. We've uh, done our best to estimate when the rings will ship. We can't actually tell somebody based on their order number because we, we manufacture rings like a color, a style, color, size, like say a balanced silver size eight. We make a bunch of those. And then when, you know, the next day we might make uh, heritage black tens. And so you know, that's the, the happy dance we're doing right now. So we're doing our best to estimate best we can. 
We expect to be have the factory in full production if everything goes well by August, and we should start building inventories by September, which at that point will be back to you ordering and it will be able to ship it right off. Mm, that's awesome, yeah. And uh, I believe like if you use the code Seamland, then you can also get a 10% affiliate discount. So <laughs> that's right. But yeah, Chuck, I'm going to ask my last piece of question, which is uh, what's this one advice or a habit that you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and mind? Uh, I would just say live within your, you know, according to your chronotype and, uh, you know, just look at the big picture and, and be, the, you know, make lifestyle choices that are going to make you the best person you can be. Yeah, that's good advice to kind of establish a, a, a rhythm and pattern that suits your physiology. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, thanks, Chuck, for talking with us and uh, looking forward to the ring in the future. And I hope we meet in person sometime. Yeah. Definitely. If I had 25 hours, then I would use that extra hour to sharpen my saw, which is kind of self-reflecting back on what I do every day making sure that the habits and the routines I follow are actually aligned with my greater purpose in life and my goals. Because the problem is that if we get stuck in our own routines and habits, then we be kind of become slaves to them and we don't, have, we don't have the time to even look at what we do and whether or not we're doing the right thing. So that extra hour is kind of a time period where I'm deliberately sitting down and going through this self-inquiry. Right, that's it. Thanks for watching this episode. Make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. My favorite podcast app at the moment is Castbox, and uh, you can definitely subscribe on that channel as well. Also, like I mentioned, if you're interested in getting the new Aura Ring, then you can use the code SIMLAND at AuraRing.com. That's S I I M L A N D at AuraRing.com for a 10% discount, which is quite magnificent. I'll leave all the links to the show notes. Thanks for watching. Make sure you subscribe. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.